trying to make it right These people won't let me go I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Let me grow, let me go Let me grow, let me go They should know, they should know They should know, they should know I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio and intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I am joined by my guest, Sarah Hay. Sarah Hay, he uses she, her pronouns, is a former college athlete turned writer and communications professional. After collecting four Sun Belt Conference soccer championship rings at the University of South Alabama, she moved to Austin in December of 2016. Since then, she's dabbled in nonprofits, education access, social and racial justice advocacy, and currently works in public health as a public information specialist with the Texas Department of State Health Services. Along with the COVID-19 pandemic, 2020 wrought another tragedy. Learning about her husband's agrarious infidelity, leaving her marriage was like hitting the reset button. And it taught Sarah important lessons about life, love, transformation, healing, and redefining what success means. She writes about these experiences in her email newsletter, Dazed and Divorced. Hello, friend. Hey. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. I'm so excited you said yes. So it's been like, I feel like it's been a long time coming. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago and now it's like here, the day has come. Yeah. You finally convinced me. You prompted me and um, without, without consent sent me the email forms. <laughs> so it was kind of, my hands were tied, but it was I a am... gentle push. Just a, I believe in you. Here you go. Well, that's what it takes sometimes, but I appreciate it. I'm so happy to be here. Me too. I feel like, so we didn't meet in person till like maybe like two, three months ago at the in-person protest we had, but I feel yes. like we had both been following each other on Instagram for a good little while. Yes. So uh, there, you had another guest who is a friend of mine on uh, AJC's Austin Justice Coalition's uh, leadership Sweet team. Sweet baby Warren. Yes, yes. Love Warren. He's the best. He's actually one of the first AJC members I met actually um, a few years ago, but I noticed that he was featured on your podcast, on this podcast, and uh, I was like, oh, I want to check this out. You know, I'm always looking for local stuff, local art projects um, and the like. So I started following the podcast and I listened to a few episodes and I learned more about you and it took me to your Instagram. And so then I followed you and I noticed I got a follow back and I was like, what? I am worthy of a follow back. So you followed me back. And I think that was, was yeah, I think it was just an Instagram digital friendship for quite some time. And then I remember seeing you across the lawn at the uh, Houston Tillotson. I was like, is that that's Sarah and Warren goes yes that's Sarah I was like okay so I had to say hi and now we've been we've become soccer friends 
Yes. Um, and we felt very important at the Lexus Club for one of the Austin FC games recently. Very posh. That was the best. Uh, we've, I can't go back now. I've <laughs> now, I meant to be bougie in my life. I know it's about me. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I cannot do general admission I'm anymore. Like, you want me to sit outside of these seats? <laughs> Offended. It was now, so much fun. I'm also though I'm trying to get Sarah to try out for the women's team because Sarah, you played, you you got awards. You have to at least try out, come out of retirement. Yes, I. Gosh, thinking about doing six a.m. weights again just makes me uh, recoil a little bit, but that's okay. Um, yeah, so soccer, wow, soccer. Soccer has been a part of my life since I was probably five years old. It's mm-hmm. when I first um, was on a team, was on a little rec team. Um, and I was pretty good. And then my dad was like, hey, um, even though you're the firstborn and you're a girl, he was always like, I, you know, I got to make sure my daughter doesn't throw like a girl. And I've since told him how problematic that is. Um, but I could catch it throw um, at a pretty young age. And they noticed that. And, you know, no one wants to be goalkeeper. So they um, signed me up and I went to a goalkeeper session. Um, I also need to point out that Sarah is very tall. So I feel like, oh. you, had, like you had the height <laughs> and like the limbs to be a goalkeeper. That's true. It has helped me quite a bit, but I will say the time that it takes from my head and my hands to then get to the ground, you know, that extra 0.5 seconds does make a difference. I feel like I spent most of my career trying to shorten that time difference, but um, yeah, so it did help a lot. Yes, I'm very tall. Um, Recruiting sheets, I would put 5'11". That's a stretch. I'm secretly 5'10", but do not tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. I don't want to tell you this. This podcast goes out into the world. It does. I'll bleep. I'll bleep it out. (laughs) So yeah, gosh, soccer. So anyway, yeah, played for a very, very long time. Um, Since, like I said, eight, nine years old is probably when I started playing goalkeeper. Um, And then I played goalkeeper all through middle school, high school, and into college. And so I had the privilege of playing at the University of South Alabama. It's in Mobile, Alabama. Most people don't know where that's at. Alabama is a big, it's like a vertical rectangle. And then at the very bottom, there's this little square. Um, And that square is Mobile. It's right on the coast. I-10 goes through it. So if you're traveling to Florida, there's a chance you've probably passed by um, or at least um, driven through Mobile. But yeah, I um, was very fortunate to play with players who were really, really good. Um, there's a lot of players I played with that now play professionally. Um, um, best friend and played professionally in Japan. Um, I have a couple of friends that play professionally in, uh, in England right now. And so just by proximity, I guess, Brie thinks I'm good enough to try out for a women's team if they ever brought that to yes. To Austin. <laughs> I just want a hay jersey. I don't think I'm asking for a lot here. So thank you. We'll see you at tryouts. Yeah, I just want to also circle back to like we moved here the same year. So I also think that's so funny. Like and you that worked in funny. nonprofits, and I'm just like, we would have met eventually, but it's always like so interesting of me, like, who moved here the same year as me? So I moved here in May and you moved here in December. I'm like, oh, see, meant to be, meant to be friends. Absolutely. Yeah, that was um. Well, we'll definitely get into this uh, later. I was engaged at the time and um, this, my 
ex-husband had found a, I uh, met him at University of South Alabama and he had gotten a job in Austin. Um, and so that was our destination and I have family in South Dallas. So um, it just kind of all worked out and we moved um, yeah, moved right after graduation. I think it was that next weekend. I just picked up and moved. And um, it was it was a lot. It was jarring um, when you spend most of your life playing a sport and that encompassing your identity. Um, it was it was just a huge, huge adjustment. And uh, we moved here and I, I actually had trouble getting a job um, because really all I had in my resume was I played a sport and I had a degree. Um, you know, when you play college sports, it's pretty much your job. Um, you really don't have a whole lot of time for anything else. So, um, yeah, I just uh, my first job out of college was AmeriCorps and I actually worked for a nonprofit that did um, education access for first generation um, low income um, high school students who wanted to go to college. And so that was my job was to help those students navigate FAFSA and SAT, ACT stuff and telling them about college. And um, it was a wild ride. It was, it was a crazy first three, four months um, moving here. So I hope your transition, I hope your moving here was a bit smoother than mine. Uh, it was chaotic in the fact of like I had an apartment a month before I moved here. I didn't have a job until a week before I moved. And then I drove here by myself in like a day and a half, like just straight through. Um, so it was chaotic in the way of like how I arrived. But then it was like I had a job. It was like everything really fell into place. I'll have to do an episode about that, about my move to, to Texas and what it's looked like. But today on this episode, we are talking about you getting divorced as a young woman and then where you are now, and then also coming out during the pandemic. And I feel like those two very much overlap. And so, yeah, for I want to start with how old were you when you got married? Because if you moved here and you were engaged and that was right after graduation, you're like 22, 23. Yes, when I got married. Um, so that was October 29th, 2017. Um, eventually, maybe in my life, I'll forget that date. I have a feeling that I won't. But um, yeah, October 29th, uh, 2017, I was 23 years old. I had turned 23 in March. Um, no shade against very young tw- 20s. Uh, but oh my goodness, I'm not sure what I thought <laughs> when um, actually I've done a lot of reflection and have um, a good idea of why I got married that young. But to me, that's very young. And this version of myself who knows myself much more um, would like to talk to that 23 year old Sarah and give her some advice. <laughs> 23, like your brain's not even done cooking at 23. Like that's so wild. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Okay, so I'm sorry. When's your when is your birthday? March what? Sixteenth. I'm the eighteenth. So you're a Pisces. So that makes a lot of sense. Proceed. Just need to know. Oh, I am the most emotional. <laughs> I am the most. I am the most Pisces of Pisces for sure. Um, I can't remember at the top of my head what my like moon rising or those other signs are, yeah. but I am Pisces. I am <laughs> a koi fish <laughs> all the time. Fair, very fair. Okay, so you get married at 23, you move to a new city, you're here with your husband. Take us through take us through what it was like like being married. What like I have so many questions. I I'm currently 
in the process of like where I am in my life. I'm, I just turned 31, which is baffling to me. Um, but I'm curling in the brain of like, Ooh, will I get married? Won't I get married? I mean, I guess like you can't make people fall in love with you and I've never had a serious relationship. Um, but I've also been talking to a friend of mine who is 35 and he's divorced and it's like, he's trying to start, he's trying to start dating again too. And I'm just like, I think I have a, I have a couple of friends who are divorced and like, what is it like for me to start dating again now? Like, and like that sort of pressure of like, not like not trusting yourself, but like just that fear around like, didn't work out before. What's it going to mean this time? Like that sort of internal battle. So I guess I'm just like giving, giving you the floor of like, what, what has it been like on this journey of you and, and, ta- and take us through your like newsletter. Cause I totally knew about it, but I haven't read it yet. Yeah. So all of those questions, um, everything that you just said are things that um, have been a part of the healing process and really understanding where my mind was at and who I was and what I wanted and unpacking all of those things is kind of why um, I started the email newsletter. Um, just, I guess, a shameless plug. It goes out every two weeks or when I'm able to fit it into my schedule. Um, and it pretty much is just a, a letter to my readers about my experience healing. And now it's more about um, helping Generally, the audience is young women, you know, people around my age, but um, I've heard that men resonate with it as well. Um, And it's, I want this newsletter to, and my own life experiences to challenge what it means to be successful, specifically for women, and this predetermined, ascribed life plan um, that we're given, and that you're a failure if you don't reach certain life points by certain ages. Um, and why I think that is all completely baloney um, and why I had opted into that plan without really even knowing that. And it really took, um, it really took my divorce and separating myself from all of these things that I thought were huge parts of my identity to, to really realize that. And that's really the purpose of the, of the newsletter um, is to unpack those things and kind of take people along, along that journey and, I hope they can see themselves in, in that journey as well. You just said so much of even just me being super single, like professionally single, um, success or successful and like the societal pressure around that, especially as a woman or as, you know, as a person, as a, as a woman, number one, and then per, as a person who is, who dates all gender, speaking of myself, I'm just like, I think about that often of like, I grew up in Connecticut and it's a very traditional place. Like it's super liberal, but it's like very traditional. Like you go, you go to school, you meet someone at work or through through school, you get married, buy a house, you have kids. It's like this plan. And lately I've been talking to folks about like, if, if that was still the societal pressure for me, I would be unsuccessful at 31, right? Like I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't own a house, but I am very successful. But if we put buckets around what success means, especially as a woman, specifically as as a cis woman, it's just like all these expectations that are on you of like, you're supposed to like make yourself smaller and not settle, but like, just be so grateful and humble and, you know, to try to fit in and and, and make yourself like fit whatever someone wants you to be. And I think 
you're you're making a, a good point. Like now it's like this reclamation of like, I get to determine what success means for me. And I think like our generation in general is really doing that well, especially as we, you know, we're getting married later or having kids later. And I'm just like, that, that just really resonated with me a lot. Cause I'm like societally back, if you're still like in that realm of thinking I'm unsuccess- unsuccessful and I am totally okay with that. Yeah. And, and uh, so much truth to everything you just said, or even delaying kids and delaying marriage, delaying house or completely opting out. Like that's kind of my purpose too, is just with, with this newsletter and, and writing about these experiences, just completely reimagining and just all of these expectations, just blowing them up into utter chaos and taking that chaos and turning it into what you want it to be and really being able to see yourself and know yourself and to follow yourself and to trust yourself, all of those things. Um, and I have a very similar background. Um, I, I really do um, envy people who still have a faith practice. I think I'm not quite um, at that point in my life yet. I think I'm going to revisit those questions um, when I when I feel ready and comfortable. But um, yeah, so I have a very traditional uh, religious background as well. I grew up uh, Catholic, did all the things, all the sacraments, uh, got confirmed. And um, I largely had a good experience with my church. Um, and then when I moved to Mobile, um, I was exposed to more Protestant, um, Southern Baptist uh, religious tradition, traditions. And I think a common thread through that was, even though it wasn't said explicitly, it was very, it was very known that for a woman, your your goal should be you need to find a man, a husband to fulfill you in these ways um, that you are unable to fulfill yourself. And so I felt this pressure to not only seek men specifically, but to seek long-term relationships and to seek marriage at such a, um, and to only date for the purposes of finding a long-term partner. And I was not exposed to other types of partnerships. And it's something that I'm learning more about, and I really appreciate um, my friends around me who have other models of of partnerships that I can learn and see and grow um, from them and their experiences. Um, But that was just never, um, and then same thing with um, if you were anything other than heterosexual. It was not said explicitly, but it it was there. It was always present, and it was oppressive. I think I would go so far as to say, it was that. And so in college, um, the, this thinking, this mindset, um, I was a part of and in um, just toxic relationships where I did the minimizing and I did the trying to fit. Um, yeah, I'll just lay it out. I, it was asked of me to be this cute, blonde Christian, didn't say too much, let the husband lead. Um, don't ask too many questions, that model of things. And that is just not me (laughs) in any way, shape or form. That is not me. Um, And I've come to love that, love that now. So I think having that background and I did 
I did fall in love with my husband. I did love my husband. In, in those contexts, I was happy, but I don't think I knew myself enough to say, not even red flags, but like, this is what I need in a partnership. And, you know, if I was to enter one, if that's what I want. Um, so I, the, my background specifically, um, and, and the trauma from that background definitely influenced my decisions to be in a relationship that was not what was best for me. Um, and ultimately lead to, um, me not seeing the red flags and me not, and me being blind to, um, um, actually that's ableist language. I shouldn't say blind. Um, for me to, um, yeah, for me to not recognize these behaviors that he was, ex- uh, my ex-husband was exhibiting, um, that was manipulative and lying and, and all of those things. So that was very long winded, but <clears throat> yes. <laughs> No, no, it was, it was all good. I was taking notes as you were talking because there's just so many good things here because I'm currently in the middle of reclaiming my faith. And I grew up in a Baptist church, but up north, so not like fire and brimstone Baptist, like just like the denomination of Baptist. And my godfather's a pastor. And I just listened to an episode the other day of Glennon Doyle's podcast because she's the best um she had her wife abby on and they were talking about being queer and religious um and it really resonated with me because i grew up in a faith um with my god by my godfather being a pastor of like religion is about relationship so it's about your relationship with god jesus buddha whoever you believe in right and then you are able to take that relationship and go to church temple synagogue whatever like building you go to to practice your religion with other people who have their own relationship right and it was about okay you're in religion you're in relationship with this higher power and then you're in relationship with people in your community but it, i grew up like not judging other people's like they was like i'm not a better christian than you are and you know i think it was it made religion and belief so personal for me and so growing up i was like I, I am new Testament, like fire and brimstone, Jesus, God scares me. So I'm very much like new Testament Jesus out here with like the lepers and the sex workers and the, I'm convinced Jesus would be a gay karaoke every day. So I just, I think for me, I've been able to literally wrap my, my mind around like who, who I believe he is or they are like Jesus is non-binary. Um, again, just (laughs) whatever works in my brain. Absolutely. Um, so moving here and coming out, you know, telling my family, like, we love you. We don't care. Very, very grateful and very fortunate. But for me, feeling like being a religious queer person in Texas and going to a church that was very accepting and very loving, but still living in Texas, just like added this, like, un- I didn't think, like, I didn't even know like where this pressure in my brain came from. Like, I don't fit in at any church here. And so I've just, I've taken my like religious practice home and I watch this pastor I love named Stephen Furtick out of North Carolina, South Carolina. Um, And I worship at home alone or I listen to gospel music by myself. And it's just, I feel like societally religion, specifically like Christianity or Catholic being Catholic, anything falls under that umbrella is like very whitewashed. And then also very detrimental like it can be so much pressure to keep people in line and keep the status quo and have all these things in your brain and and you know it can be very traumatizing for people so 
I feel it a lot. Like, yes, I haven't experienced any sort of trauma, but just like just watching the news and hearing what people say and just being like the idea of queer people also having a religious practice is like such a far-fetched idea. And I'm like, guys, it's a new century. Like, aren't we past this yet? But that's something that really resonated with me. Absolutely. That I love that podcast. Um, and after I say this, I want to come back to an episode um, that uh, Glennon did with her sister about infidelity. Um, I think I listened to the first 10 minutes of that episode and just bawled the whole time. I had to take a serious couple of hours break because um, it just drummed up so much uh, emotion for me. But I think I all of I hear all of that. And personally, in my own life, I accepted and loved queer people and but it was nothing unless you were a part of my inner circle you really didn't know that that wasn't something that I felt comfortable or safe enough to say out loud and I and I really wish I would have um there's plenty of times I I wish I would have felt strong enough to to um speak out against these things and um and then I it's interesting to me because I didn't even consider it an option for me, an option for me to feel love or attraction for anything other than a man. Um, and it really, like it took, um, like I said, it took the divorce. It took all of these pillars in my life to completely come down for me to even see that as an option. And it's kind of how all of this connects and relates. I have, so my religion and I would probably, I would say evangelical Christian is probably is, is the faith practice I, I used to be a part of um, white evangelical. Let's, let's be more specific white evangelical practice. So there was that. And then um, soccer was such a huge part of my life. It really dictated everything since I was five years old. If I was not at school, I was at soccer practice, high school practice or club. And on weekends I was at tournaments um, so these were two huge pillars of my identity. And then I meet someone, we date for about a year, year and a half, I get engaged, and then I get married. Um, and I moved to Austin. And so as I'm married, I'm these two pillars of my religion and my and my uh, me playing soccer, me being an athlete sort of were dissolving, but they were still huge parts of who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when the divorce happened, it was you know, I was already letting go. I was already a part of my going through my deconstruction um, of my faith at that time. So that just kind of put that in hyperspeed. So I was like, okay, religion, I just do not have time for these questions right now. Um, and then soccer, obviously, you know, I stopped um, playing in a, in a competitive sense. And so then this other huge pillar of my identity, my, my marriage and my, my duty as a wife and my duty to uh, this person that I had pledged my life to, that had dissolved. And along with that, with these different pillars of my identity, it dissolved this life plan that I was supposed to follow. I really thought I had something figured out, right? That I was married at 23. And there was just something about this life plan that I was able to accomplish before other people around me. Mm. Um, and I didn't realize that I held pride from that. And I don't feel good about that, but I did. Um, I, I, I felt this um, superiority because I had gotten married at 23. Um, and, 
everyone around and everyone around me at the time was not married. And I was like, oh, I have a leg up. I don't have a house and I don't have kids, but I have this leg up. And it just completely obliterated my sense of self, my sense of what my life was supposed to look like. Um, and so when I am, I mean, I, I distinctly remember this moment. So this is um, without going too, too far into it. Um, I can later if you want me to, but it was the night that I confronted um, him about the infidelity um, on the phone and he had revealed um, infidelity with two other people it had been going on for most of our marriage, these things. I was sitting, um, I had moved out and I was living with my cousins in, in South Austin. And I remember sitting in the bedroom and just, I was so, it, it's the saddest I think I've ever been. And, and I, I can't, like words aren't here. I love words. I write words are not here um, for me to, to describe, you know, just the heartbreak that I felt. But I also felt honestly, like this weight was just lifted of just, wow, all of these things that I thought mattered do not matter. And that's not me saying marriage doesn't matter and lifelong partners and in in this commitment doesn't matter. But all of these things that I held to such high accord, all of these things that I just really thought defined me and who I was actually do not matter. And that was such a painful, it was such a painful but revelatory moment. And part of what I'm exploring and part of why I write about this, because I want other women and I want other people to experience this because it gave me the framework and it gave me the clean slate to explore myself and to know myself. And because it is just me in that room, my cousin right there, my family, husband, everything. No, it's just me. It is just me. And at the time, uh, I didn't really, and I still kind of don't believe in a higher power. I do. Maybe we'll see. At the time, it was just me. There was no praying. There was, it was just me in this room figuring it out. Um, And there goes the rest of my life after that moment. (laughs) It sounds almost like a reckoning, right? Like you're you are dismantling everything you knew in order to like start anew and like not to get like all philosophical or like nerdy book, but it's like the Phoenix and the ashes, right? Like you have to lose yourself in order to find yourself again. And someone's like applaud you because it's in your twenties. I feel like we think we know everything. And I was talking to a friend yesterday. I was like, I don't think I really like had anything figured out till I was like 28. Right. And that's like, minimally figured out like that's like surface level figured out like I know who I am done I know nothing else and so like to hear like you have been married and now you're divorced and like all these things that like you literally did like like you're saying that reset button was hit and you're like this is starting today we're starting new and that means dismantling my life in order for it to be better moving forward so I commend you because it's not easy well I appreciate that it's in in that moment, I, it really felt like I didn't have a choice, right? Um, it, I think leave, choosing to leave was probably the first time in my life. Actually, I would say it, it was. It was the first time in my life where I made a decision solely because I wanted to make it. I did not consider my husband. I did not consider family, anything. Mm-hmm. In that moment, I was like, I do not want to be in this marriage anymore. Um, 
And there are several reasons for that, but I just, I felt it from my core, from my being, this is not where you need to be. Um, And I don't, I think I've come to a place where I don't necessarily, I don't regret being married. I don't regret going through these things um, because they are fundamental to who I am now and who I'm able to be and who I want to be. Um, But I just, and I want that for other people because this the whole process has been really painful, um, but really liberating. And I I have I have lived a life. <laughs> I have lived a life that I am proud of. Um, and not every day is promised. And I think yeah, for the first time I can say that I really can say that and 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 pick things out of my life that I want to be defined by and. Um, you are so organized and so wonderful. And so when you sent me the sheet to um, answer some questions and to write notes before we do this episode of these questions of what defines you, I really loved that because, you know, filling out a bio, fitting, fitting in, uh, um, filling out like a LinkedIn profile or, you know, all these things like, you know, the, the market today is marketing yourself and having a brand and all those things. And, and while that's important, just the simple question of what defines you and to not answer that question with what your relationship is with other people and to just say, who am I by myself? Um, I, I want everyone to be able to do that with ease mm-hmm. and to yeah. be proud of themselves and to love themselves for that. Because yeah. um, it I, it's took until now to for me to be able to, I was very proud filling out that part. I really like this (laughs) and you should be yeah that was that was a big question I asked myself in 2020 like I had dated these two wonderful people but neither of them worked out and I realized I dated them because I was about to turn 30 I had never been in a serious relationship and so I was like I'm gonna date them and see what happens and not that I was settling but I was also it was more like fear like out of fear I dated them and um, and then in 2020, I was like, don't date this year before the pandemic hit. I was like, I'm going to not date this year and I'm going to figure out who I am. I was turning 30. It was like, this it was my soul, my Saturn return. I, I learned yesterday. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, but I was sitting with the question of who am I out of every single relationship I hold? Like if everyone I knew tomorrow, God forbid, disappeared, who am I outside of work, outside of my relationships, outside of even this show? And then I also asked the question of why, why had I been dating so badly? What was my fear around dating and letting people in? What was I looking for in a partner? And so, yeah, I, I feel like you get to a point in your life where you have to do this like internal audit in this, 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 this reflection of I've gotten to this point and is it, is it working for me? And so for you to say like, I, you, you had to just really sit with yourself and ask yourself those questions. I tell people, I started therapy when I was 15. I'm not currently in therapy, but have a lot of tools under in the belt. Um, and so I'm, I'm really good at like, okay, I'm the common denominator in all of my experiences. What have I done? What can I do to move forward? All those sort of things. So yeah, I'm, I love when people get to ask that, like, who am I outside of X, Y, and Z? Cause I feel like it's not a question we ask, like you are someone's daughter or sister or aunt or coworker. Like the, you get these automatic, like sort of titles and, or roles we have to play. And so I think it's, when I created those questions with people, I was like, I just want to know who you are. Like, I want this space to be a space where you can come and be messy and unpack and be vulnerable and, and just do all the chit chat. So 
Yeah, here we are. Um, I also really loved your your kind of accomplished feeling you mentioned of like, I did it because I feel like success to bring that back, like success is like a competition, right? Like, so for you to be like, I did the one thing no one else had done. So I, like I said to you, like I, on paper, I'm unsuccessful. Like my, a lot of my friends own a house or are married or have kids or have done all these things. And, you know, I, I constantly sit with the saying that comp, um, comparison's the thief of joy. And I'm constantly thinking about that. And like, that's something I hold very close to my heart is you are going at your pace. You don't owe anyone anything. You, no one has a right to tell you how to live or what to do. And, but I know like that, that is a very internalized thing of like, I did the one thing I was like, quote, supposed to do, supposed to get married. And I've done that. And so also like thought of that when you said that, I was like, yeah, that, that feeling of being a woman in the, again, a woman in this world of like, you, your one job is to get married. And then your next job is to have a baby. Like we as women even still are like fighting that, that sort of bullshit of like, this is, these are the only two things you're supposed to ever aspire to do. And I'm like, no, like that's not, that's not currently where I am right now. Like what I, do I want to be a mom? Sure. But currently I can't get myself pregnant. So, I mean, here we are like yeah. working with the cards I've been dealt in, 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 right now I'm worrying about like financial stability. Like, so when I do have a kid, if I do have a kid alone, I'll be fine. Right. So I think about that often. Absolutely. I'm all about that single motherhood. Um, I think that's just, just so beautiful. Um, I think that's what, I'm, and I think you would make a fantastic mom. You would be the coolest mom out there. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm so- recording this. I record this show every episode I'm like this is gonna be great later when I have kids like see I was cool I promise I wasn't always (laughs) I have all this evidence that you get to listen to listen and listen to it and know yeah (laughs) yeah I there's that's so much is there and um just to something that I'm actually grateful that the pandemic brought for me um and it was just such such a terrible, terrible time for so many people. Um, And I, one of the things that I also realized when I left is like, you know, all of these things that women are supposed to do, right? Well, women are also not supposed to leave marriage. Mm -hmm. Like that's not, um, and that's something that I encountered. And not only are women not supposed to leave, but people don't really know what to do with women who leave. Mm -hmm. Um, So I came across um, even I, I luckily didn't have, actually, I take that back. There, there were, I had people in my life who I love very dearly and I still love them. And, and I understand, and I've been able to see eye to eye with them about why they wanted me to stay. But, um, so my, just to provide clarity, like my ex-husband had, um, an affair with two other people who were out of state and um, as far as I know, right, like, I knew what I knew, and I didn't really want to know anything else. Um, I knew enough. So um, two out of state affairs, um, and it had started not even a year um, into our marriage, and we had been married for almost three years. So very, very short. Um, but for most of that, he was not faithful. And even with this information, and even knowing um the the extent to which this person lied and manipulated me um people still 
wanted me to stay or at least prompted me to think about the consequences of me leaving. And that just, that blew my brain. I was like, you know, I'm presenting this evidence, like this is what happened to me. And you, the conclusion still is, oh, but are you sure? Are you sure you want to leave? Are and, and, and my my response was, well, then the alternative is I stay. Like, and how could anyone possibly expect me expect me to stay? And um, and I think about all of my supportive family and friends and the resources that I had access to um, in order to leave. And I and I always want to um, provide that from my story. I mean, I had a cousin's place that I could go stay at and, and I had these resources to to pick up and move. And I know, um, you know, some responses I would get was, well, lesser women would, would have stayed, right? So there's like this people who thought I should stay and then other people would tell me, oh, well, lesser women would have stayed. And that didn't make me feel good either. So I was like, you know, I'm not ever going to sit here and tell a woman what's best for her. Only she knows that. And also, there are plenty of women who don't have those resources to, to leave. Um, and I'm very fortunate to where this relationship, there was no um, like physical abuse or, or anything like that. So it was just grappling with that and this expectation of, unset expectation of I should stay. And then when I would go see friends, you know, most people relate, related with me as I am my ex-husband's wife and I would go into these spaces single now without this person Mm -hmm. and no one and it was physical too no one really knew how to look me in the eye no one really like they knew this really horrible thing had happened to me no one really knew it was just awkward no one knew what to say to me how to ask if I was okay and it was just it was so strange and it really opened my eyes to really women are not are are not expected to leave like that is not the 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 norm in everyone's head is that I should have stayed yeah um and that is that is absolutely crazy to me it's just that's that's wild it is wild um also as a woman we're, we're meant to put everyone before ourselves right so like you you are supposed to be miserable so that everyone else would be comfortable and okay and happy right like even even that thing of like yes. even if it meant you being unhappy, but everyone else was comfortable. So they knew how to talk to you still, right? Like it's just the worst. (laughs) I hate it. hate it so much. Dumpster fire. Absolutely. And, um, you know, with the pandemic to give just a short timeline. um, So I still remember these dates. I'm hoping there is a time in my life where I will forget these dates. It was a Friday, February 28th is when I got, um, February 28th, 2020 is when I got the um, message from one of the women. So not only were there two affairs, he had created a fake alias, like a fake name, um, and was lying to these other two people as well, supposedly. Um, it's one of the women found his real accounts, his real name, and and that this, this woman messaged me on, found me on Facebook and messaged me. And this whole message from her, just described everything that that went on and the affair and everything. Um, and so when I got this message, I was actually standing in line at Wheatsville, um, South Lamar. It was the last day of early voting. And I remember there were shopping carts next to me. And I remember 
just this rush of adrenaline. I mean, I, I've been in some pretty high stakes soccer games, but I don't think I've ever had adrenaline just rush through my body, like in that moment, you know, rush through my body. And I just kind of collapsed onto the golf carts and everyone was kind of looking at me like, what's wrong with this girl? And um, yeah, I kind of stumble into the park when it really, really sets in that this really might be happening to me. This is really happening to me. Um, and so that just set off a whole series of events. You know, I confronted him over the phone, confirmed that these, these things were happening. Um, next week I moved out and um, then I think it was two weeks later or a week later, I actually got COVID. So that kind of first round um, when I was staying at my cousin's house, the, I was in that little second bedroom and I was quarantined there for about two weeks and my family would just bring me food and I would open the door, I'd get the food and I just drank water and I watched Netflix and COVID was really, really terrible. Um, and I had, I lost a ton of weight from all the stress and from being sick and, um, I was just really, really unhealthy and it was such a hard time such a hard time, um, in my life and getting over COVID. Um, and then I made a to-do list and I was like, okay, I need a therapist and I need a lawyer. Those are two things that I, that I needed. So, um, I'm really glad that you started therapy really early in life. Um, I wish I would have done that because therapy has been absolutely transformational for me, but, um, after about a month, I moved in with a good friend of mine, um, her second bedroom. And that's actually where, where I still, where I still live. And it's been wonderful. But as, as the pandemic shut everything down, I am grateful for that because I know for a fact I would have gone out and I, and I would have used social outings to distract me from really doing the work mm -hmm. of the healing. Um, there were so many days where it was me on the couch I was holding a pillow and I would put on a sad playlist and I would just cry and cry and process and process and process. And that is one thing that the pandemic did give me was the space to explore and to just feel everything. And I think that was so instrumental in how I was able to, um, I don't want to say get over the divorce because that, I feel like that minimizes, you don't get over mm -hmm. it. You just process and you and you move through it and you heal from it and you grow from it I like those phrases better um so yeah the 2020 was wild <laughs> it was well, absolutely I, I, wild I think that perfectly flows into the other thing that happened to you during the pandemic and that was you coming out and I feel like coming out a in general is already a wild time, but coming out at this point in your life and then also post-divorce during a pandemic. So I think it's also that, that level of it too. Yeah. Um, and so when, you know, as we have talked, just you dismantle all these pillars, you don't, anything that defines your life no longer defines your life and you're just floating. <laughs> you're just at home and you're a crying mess all the time. And, and it's just you, um, I think I sat down with myself and, I, and it's, it's incredible to me that when I actually had, had this space to go, to go inward um, and to go into myself and to, to say, Hey, you know, I think I've always known this about me. I I've always talked about and maybe joked about attraction to 
to women. And, and I think I, I sat with myself one day and I was like, you know, I actually think this is a thing. I actually think this is real. And, um, and so I did, I did a little bit of, you know, day, 2020 was wild. And then after post-divorce during a pandemic, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how we made it. So um, downloaded, uh, I used Bumble and, and Hinge and I selected everyone. And that was just such a huge step for me. And as I moved through and um, dated all genders, I it just felt really natural to me. And I was like, why haven't I been doing this the whole time? <laughs> and um, if anything, I think that's one part of myself that I wish, I really wish I would have, um, wish I would have known and explored um, earlier on in my life. And, I, and I'm really grateful that I know that. And um, I know not everyone feels the need to put um, a definition or a label on their sexuality. And I, and I totally understand that. And um, for me, I think it was helpful to have that definition. Um, but bisexual didn't really feel enough. It didn't really feel like it fully encompassed everything. And because I was like, yeah, well, a cis man who's wearing like makeup and a dress, I was like, that is totally hot. <laughs> I just, I, that's, um, I'm attracted to that too. So, you know, I did a little bit of Googling and, and looked up um, just different definitions and I came across pansexuality. And I think I had, um, I think it was Janelle Monet, and there's a couple of other celebrities who have um, come out as pansexual. So I, I'd heard the term before and I just was like, you know what? I think this really, um, this accurately defines how I feel. And, and what my attraction is and what my sexuality is. So it was my coming out. It was very uh, low key. And I'm very, very fortunate to have supportive friends and family who just, you know, didn't even skip a beat. They just embraced that. Um, and I think I did it on, yeah, I did it on Instagram. I think I did like Instagram story. That's, that's how we announce things mm-hmm. these days. Um, so it was very low key and it just, very naturally fit into my life. And um, I'm just, I'm very grateful to know that about myself now. And it was, it, it's been a wonderful, it's been a wonderful time. It's been a wonderful experience. A journey, if you will. Yeah. Well, oh, I love that for you. Also dating is just hard in general. So I came in, you know, dating during a pandemic, I give you so much credit. And then the apps are a dumpster fire that I'll talk about it another day. Not the, t- not the place. I just want to say mm-hmm. credit because it is difficult yeah. to say the least. So um, um, dating. Yeah. Pandemic post-divorce and coming out. Um, there's a number of challenges yeah. and to kind of go back to the podcast episode with uh, Glenn and Doyle and, and um, her sister. Um, there was just so many things about the, the episode is called infidelity. And so if anyone is interested, it's, it's a fantastic, it, they so accurately describe um, my feelings and what it's like. And all, also something with divorce that I've known, it's, it's something that a lot of people go through. Um, but it's, it's, it's still very niche. It's very specific. When I come across someone who's been divorced, it's like, we're in this club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, we're in this club that really no one understands what it's like unless you've actually been through it. Um, Same thing with a college athlete as well. It's just a very specific life experience. And like, unless you have been through it, it's really hard to to replicate 
in any other context. And um, so this episode was just really wonderful for, and it's very validating um, for me to hear because Glennon and sister have, they have two very different divorce stories. And the Mm -hmm. sister's divorce story was very much like mine in that it was very sudden. um, And it involved a lot of lying and manipulation. And she was in love with this person. I was in love with my ex-husband and just this heartbreak, complete deterioration of self and life. um, And just how devastating that is. And also not, um, um, receiving the ant that that's another thing too that's been really difficult to to go through is um, not having the all of the answers I never really know knew why I never really I still haven't gotten a legitimate apology mm-hmm. um, I haven't seen this person in about a year ish um, we met once and that was just to discuss formalities um, but yeah and hearing that was just incredibly validating and and the sister talks about this ghost of infidelity ghost of divorce and i was just like that is how it feels and it's just this mental man you know when i'm spending time with the with this other person um it's separating yourself from your like you have this former self you have this pre-divorce sarah and then post-divorce sarah it's just a complete it's a different life. I almost, I call it my former life uh, mm-hmm. sometimes because there's really not another way to describe it. And I think um, that could apply to just these huge life moments where just everything explodes and you have a before you and you have an after you. Um, and so that this ghost of infidelity was definitely present throughout dating because it's like, how do you simultaneously like love someone and then dealing with that heartbreak, but then also, you know, being romantically interested in someone else. Like when I didn't ask to be cheated on, like I didn't ask for a divorce. I didn't ask for, um, I didn't ask for my marriage to fall apart. You know, Mm. there was nothing in that that was on, that was on me. Um, So that was, that was very difficult. Um, And that ghost, I would say, does show up sometimes um but it's slowly going away yeah. good it's a good thing yeah. <laughs> but if you're interested that episode is fantastic it's so good she's so good oh, glennon jay i also the word closure is such a big word in my life and i think about it often um i think i've mentioned on the show before like my mom passed when i was 15 my dad and i really don't don't speak um, so like, I have a really tough time trusting people to love me long-term because the two people who were meant to, for all sake of purposes and conversations, like failed me. And so with my mom passing that there was closure, like not closure, but you know, I've learned how to cope with the fact that she's no longer here. Um, and then my dad, we didn't talk from the time I was 18 to the time I was about 22, 23. Um, and so there's a lot of like closure I had to except for me right like it's there's always going to be hurt and harm done there but it's also like I've accepted the apology I was never given because that's the closure I needed and I've talked to a couple of friends who have like had breakups and people who've ghosted them I'm like you sometimes have to give yourself the closure because if you're waiting for it it's just never gonna happen and I would hate like I have one friend in particular who's like I just want us like to have closure so we can move forward I'm like 
I don't think this person's ever going to apologize. I'm like, the, I'm like, what you can do is apologize to yourself and you can send apologies to that person. I'm like, and then I think that's the only form of closure you'll get. Like you have to sort of essentially like award yourself whatever version of closure you're willing to give. And so that's why also like hearing from you is like the steps towards or acceptance of or figuring out with what closure and moving forward looks like for you. Absolutely. I, I don't, there, there wasn't one defining moment where I was like, okay, I'm accepting closure for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, It was absolutely a process. And I think, you know, the, the divorce has become something just so much bigger than the divorce itself. And the probably one of the hardest things is not just losing this marriage and losing this love, but losing, um, all the family that I loved, I love, and I still do. I love his family. I love his parents. Um, there's a, a nephew that I won't get to like watch grow up. Ooh, that one gets me every time. Um, but there's this whole ecosystem and this support system that I was welcomed and loved into. And I just, I love them so much and I still do. And that is still very difficult. Um, and it's not only that, but all of the Christmases, all of the would have been, all of the Christmases, all of the just family life events that you had when I said my, like I signed up for all of those things. You, you planned for them. Yes. And, and just this, this version of myself, this future that I had in my head um, is just no, it was taken from me on it. Like it, it was taken from me and that to find closure for that, being able to see my life in a different way, to know myself, to see my life in a different light and to see what path I'm going on and to be able to define success for myself, that's where I've been able to find closure because forgiveness is weird. I don't, I'll be honest, I don't know if I'll, To, to say I forgive him is a very complicated mm-hmm. phrase, and I don't think it properly has, I don't think it properly contains everything that goes along with that. Yeah. Do, I, do I see him as a human who made mistakes, who is deeply broken in ways that I think need to be addressed and that I hope he doesn't hurt other people? Like, I, I can do that. Mm-hmm. I can cognitively do that. Um, but as far as like what, you know, without this, like, you know, the sincere apology, maybe that would, that would do it for me. But I just, I know I'm not going to get that. I know, I know I'm not going to get that. So I think being able to choosing to move forward and to see the person that I've been, that I'm becoming and am, that is what has been the closure for me is to realize my own potential um and on it and just on plainly like just to see how strong I am like oh when I look back and I think of all the things that I've went through and here I am and I'm still standing like that that's my closure that's my closure I thank you so much for coming on today I will be sure to link all the things in the show notes you're Instagram, your Twitter, your days and days and days and confused. (laughs) 
God. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> newsletter. Um, I see also even medium account. And I'm like, oh, I feel like Sarah's like such a great writer. So I'm gonna probably go do that today. Um, but as you know, at the end of each episode, I like to end with a high on a high note, sort of like a palate cleanser, asking my guest, what is the best advice you've ever been given? Or what is a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? So the best advice I've ever been given, um, it's a, it's something that my dad taught me. Um, me and my dad are very similar and he is a lot of the reason of I am who I am. And from a very young age, he taught me to, taught me that every single person is deserving of love and forgiveness and compassion. And that really just has guided me through everything that I do. Um, and I just, I thank my dad for that. It just, yeah, it has led me in, in, in my, in my work, in my friendships, in my relationships, in, in just everything. Um, I really thank my dad for, for teaching me that. Um, because it really just, I have a giant heart. Like you ask what defines me like that, just how Pisces I am, just how, how emotional and just my, my capacity to love and feel compassion. And, um, I, I, yeah, I love humans. I'm just gonna, just gonna leave it at that. Um, for the second piece of, um, like advice that I would give my younger self, I actually think about this a lot, actually, because right, I had this former me and this me now. And I think a lot of, I think about a lot of the versions of younger me, um, different versions of myself. And first, I think I would, it would be during a soccer practice and I would go up to her and I would just tell her to not pay attention to anyone. And I would just, I would just give her this giant hug. I would just wrap her up and I would just tell her that she is doing a great job, that she doesn't need to feel afraid of who deep down she knows she is. And to go with her gut every single time because her gut has not failed her. And then I would like, and I would tell her that she is so much stronger than she thinks she is. So that is that. (laughs) That's it for this week's episode of the tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the tea with Brie. Send me an email at the tea with Brie at gmail.com and visit the website, the tea with Brie podcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I will talk to you all next week. Bye.